sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Although 2020 is behind us, many of its lessons remain, and one of them is the reality of our mortality. So how do we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, think about death, but especially care for the dying? That's what we're going to be talking about today on Ignition. So welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas for future episodes, please contact Cameo. She'll have all the answers. Now you can email ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. So Cameo Anders is my guest today. Cameo, you've been on the show before, but it's been a little while. And in case people um, haven't heard you before, would you mind just briefly introducing yourself? Include a little... Fun fact that won't you get you in trouble with anybody who might know you. <laughs> sure, I'll try. So, Cameo Anders, um, I am a native to Rapid City, South Dakota, live in Sioux Falls, mom of four kids, attorney, I have a master's in theology and bioethics. So today's conversation really hits on a passion of mine, end-of-life care and Catholic teaching. You get excited about death. I get excited about remaining with those who are passing from life into eternity. That, that, you, you sold me. You had me at, I get excited about something. Um, so what's the fun fact in there? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, shoot. Put me on the spot. Uh, I gave you a heads up like 30 seconds ago. <laughs> well, fun fact, I get excited about death. That's true. That's fair. All right. That'll, that'll, I don't know if it's fun or not, but it's an interesting fact at least. It's it's probably unique and it's probably not quite accurate. I don't get excited about death, but yeah, it Fine. is a, a beautiful see, place see, to... There's the lawyer you're getting all precise <laughs> now. Is that really death, Chris? That really, it's, it's right, the, let's well, tweak that and let me, let me, let me look at and, that for three days and then I'll give you my real <laughs> What's your practice answer. answer? Okay, so actually, quick question. You're an attorney. What kind of law do you practice? So I practice real estate business, wills and trusts. Um, that's kind of the package deal. Mostly, I really enjoy the part of helping people create their advanced directives, their um, healthcare power of attorney or finances and wills, um, just kind of getting things in order when they're thinking about, okay, I, I need to provide for my family and my loved ones. I need to have a, a legacy in place. Um, that's a, a tough conversation to have. Right. Uh, it's easier to have when you also have a, a faith background. Yep. Um, so just today I was talking with somebody. So um, talking to somebody in one of our parishes in the diocese um, and just the reality that a lot of, a lot of people in the parish, like, like pillars of the parish com community have passed away this year because of COVID been mm -hmm. older and particularly susceptible for a variety of reasons to, to the disease. Um, and it's taken their life. And, and as we're talking, um, this person I wasn't visiting with was talking about how, you know, they're gone. And I said, I know, I know what you mean. And I wasn't like correcting her in a like sort of super obvious, well, duh, Chris kind of way, but I was just actually, I was aware in our conversation. Um, and I said to her, I'm just the truth that they're not gone 
in a permanent way is just was really striking me in the conversation. So the, the reality of life, you know, there's a lot of things that we know conceptually or intellectually, but for whatever reason in this conversation, um, just this morning, uh, I was just really aware of the, the truth that we will exist beyond death. So at, going back to what gets you excited isn't death, but it's caring for people at that moment of uh, that, 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 that juncture mm-hmm. between this life and the next. Right. So uh, we're talking about this today because um, Camu Anders is probably the only person who would send me a text like this. Chris, do you want to take it together and talk about Samaritanus Bonus? Um, so, <laughs> Samaritan, that literally happened. I mean, what is Samaritanus Bonus? I mean, so it's, I knew it was Latin, Good Samaritan. It's actually, it's Latin for Samaritan good, but Latin, you can switch the word order. So it's Latin for Good Samaritan. And I think you may have said CDF document. So oh the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith is an office at the Vatican, which is responsible for just sort of ensuring that the, it's, the Catholic faith is always being taught as, as, as purely as it can be to the degree that an office in Rome can do that. Um, and they issued, I think at the end of September. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this document, Samaritanus Bonus, the good, good Samaritan, which has its topic end of life issues, right? Right. Yeah. So, do you um, now? <laughs> I know you're prepared in many ways for this interview, but do you remember what? What do you know? I mean, you may not know, but why did they? Because the Vatican, the Holy, the the, the Church has issued end of life documents before, um, and we talked about this actually. Do you remember why? Why did they? What prompted them to issue one now? You know, I'm not sure, so I'll just make it up. That's okay, what great. good lawyers yes, do. Yes, yes. Um, but a couple things stand out to me in here. The most prominent one being physician-assisted suicide, that, death with dignity, yes. those kind of issues. Because it's happening in a number of Catholic hospitals, actually, mm-hmm. or ostensibly Catholic hospitals, especially in Europe. That's yeah. right. Yep. That, you jogged my memory from our conversation. Yeah. Okay. A couple other smaller parts that they put in there is they give a really m- more clear um, or I guess they were clear before in our ethical and religious directives, but they talk about nutrition and hydration and how, when that's not, how that's, you know, should be just ordinary care. um, But when it becomes okay to remove it. So that's some good guidance in there. Uh, They talk about the POLST documents, which South Dakota just. The what now? Right. It's a physician order. So it's like a transportable order that. If Isn't it an acronym? It is. So Physician Order for Life-Sustaining Treatment. Okay. So in South Dakota, we have a most medical order for scope of treatment, which takes that pulsed paradigm and, and really sort of secures it according to our law. And I'm proud to say in a lot of ways, according to Catholic teaching. Mm. So it addresses those documents as well, which if you're at the end of life, maybe within a year, have a terminal condition and you can, instead of each time you go to a care setting and have to say, this is what I want, and they have to create a medical order to implement your desires, you can just create one order that transports across, you know, hospital, uh, doctor's office, whatever it might be, all those different care settings. So it's sort of for convenience sake. Okay. Um, but there's some cautions that they give us with those too. Okay. So. So... So this doc, this document was issued by by the Vatican at the end of September, um, and you, like in, again, uh, back in November, actually texted me. Let's can we? You want to talk about Samaritanus bonus? So why were you excited excited about to this? talk about this document? 
You know, it just does a great job giving us some clear guidance. And I, I think especially during this pandemic and we're really thinking about end of life and we're seeing people that we know and love get sick and perhaps even pass away, it just really focuses on what to do and how to remain with those people in an effective way. Okay. So what we want, what we're going to do today, um, what you're going to do today, okay. <laughs> I'm just along for the ride. Um, could you just give us a very, very brief um, overview just quickly of sure. the the entire document, perhaps. Um, but then I know you, that you want to focus on a few parts that you think would be actually really helpful for all of us, just as Catholics, as Christians, as as missionary disciples of Jesus Christ through God's love. Um, Bishop DeGroote's vision for the for the Diocese of Sioux Falls, lifelong Catholic missionary disciples through God's love. Um, I know there's some things that you really focus on that you think would be really helpful for all of us to know. Um, so we'll, we'll do that. But if we could start with yeah. just a brief overview of the whole shebang. Sure. So brief overview, it kind of creates this ethics of care, which I am excited about that. We have all of these different types of ethics out there. Um, there's a principalist ethics, a personalist ethics, a utilitarian ethics. There's all of these different sort of formulas or philosophies of ethics. And this really gives us a, a concrete five-point application of Catholic ethics at end of life. So first of all, I think that's an excellent tool to have. Then it goes into how our culture of waste today has this view um, that in three ways conflict with this sort of ethics of care idea. So it goes into those um, three ideas. And then after that, it gives us some really applicable, uh, I want to say it's nine um, areas, and it addresses concrete issues like nutrition and hydration or physician-assisted suicide or quality of, ca uh, quality of life measurements that shouldn't be made. So it kind of gives us nice a nice overview and then some conflicts that we find in our culture and then some practical use tools. Who would you, so it, this is maybe a question at the end of the show, but I'm going to pose it now. Who would you recommend? Um, would I guess, who would you highly recommend read this text? Who is it especially, I mean, in a sense, I think you would probably say mm -hmm. we should all read it. Um, but who would you say, boy, it'd be, it'd be really good if this group read it? You know, I think in particular, healthcare, those involved in the medical field, especially those involved with the palliative care side mm -hmm. of medicine, um, the hospice teams, even, you know, that includes, but probably most especially nurses who are the ones that usually remain at the bedside. But it includes a whole gamut of, of care providers, so chaplains, families, and then psychological and physiological care providers. Okay. So those will all be good people. Would Now, if they want, want to read it, they can find it online for free, right? Right. Yep. Vatican so, website. So if you go to Vatican website or if you do an internet search, Google, Bing, whatever, <laughs> is Yahoo still around? It might be. Maybe. I don't know. Um, Samaritanus <laughs> bonus. So Samaritan us. 
Samaritanus bonus, like bo- the word bonus. Um, and you'll be able to find uh, this document um, at, again, at the Vatican website. Okay. So that's a, you give a sketch overview as to the question, who should read it? But, but what are the sort of the key points that you think that would really be helpful for all of us to know? Actually, there was something you said earlier that before you answered that question, you, you, you commented and I could see that you, what thing, something you really like, it talks about personalist ethics or the other forms, but this is, it talks about ethics, medical ethics for end of life is ethics of care. And you, you really like that. I Why? Do. I do because so in the medical field and especially in medical education, for example, if you get a secular medical education, you're probably getting this principalist ethics theory where we try to, you know, determine autonomy, beneficence, non-maleficence, and justice. And those are good words, but really what do Some they mean? Big words. Yeah. Anyway. So <laughs> you know, we've heard of justice, but how does that determine our our care uh for elderly or end of life? You know, there's there there's not a lot of concreteness or or tools for application. And this gives us an ethics of care that is really applicable. Mm. Uh, it's really useful to those at the bedside. Uh, you asked that question. I don't know if you want me to go into it now. So I said, you know, useful at the bedside for the medical team. But also, I think what we're going to talk about today is useful at the bedside for the family mm. um, and the loved ones who feel really, it uses the word impotent, feel really powerless yeah. to do anything. Yeah. And so these are, I'm going to, I sort of, you know, extrapolated five components of this ethics of care and hopefully the, you know, congregation of the doctrine of the faith will forgive me for, you know, misconstruing any of them. But I think in my, in my, um, I guess, thoughts, these five components are probably some of the, uh, just they're, they're healing. They're a salve to our soul mm. in a way to know I can do these five things and I am really providing exactly what this loved one needs. Okay. So we'll get into those five components of the ethics of care in just a moment. But if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, visiting today with Camille Anders, who is a, a, a woman, a wife, a mom, an attorney, an ethicist, uh, at least masters in, I don't know if a theologian, are you a theologian? Would you say you're a theologian? I don't, I, I don't know if I want to say that theology. around you. I might okay. say that to somebody who doesn't have any theology background, <laughs> but I'm not going to call myself a theologian in this room. All right. So no. a Jack of all, or a Jane of all trades, a master of some of them. An aspiring theologian aspiring? in training. Ooh, there, there you go. go. All right. How's Very that? good. So, and we're talking about a Vatican, a document from um, the Vatican called Samaritanus Bonus, Good Samaritan, which is really about um, the ethics of care for the dying. Uh, so we're, we're, we're going to do, Camille, we've got about 13 minutes left. So we, I know you, these five components, walk us through these five components. Sure. So if we ask ourselves the question, what can I do to be, to reach out and share myself with others out of love, to enter into some sort of relational self-gift, which is really what we're trying to do as missionary disciples. If we're created in the image of God, then we are in this relational self-giving image, which that is the Trinity, this relational Mm self-gift. So in those moments where we are with a loved one um, or even you know, someone that we might not know. What can we do at end of life to 
be a missionary disciple. And this document gives us, I'm going to break it into these five components. The first one is care for life. So the first step that we do is we show care. But what does that really mean? It's this, you know, if we think about the Good Samaritan and he stopped and he offered effective help to the person lying in the ditch who had been beat up. And then he said, after he brought them to the inn and said, take care of their wounds and paid, he said, and I'll come back and I'll give you whatever I have in the future as well in order to help care for this person. Mm. So this document calls it this supernatural charity. So showing care isn't just charity out of what we have now, but it's charity out of what we will have in the future. It's this this trust in God to provide for us, and in return, we provide for others, not calculating what's in our pocket or in our toolbox or what's in our skill sets, but just providing in a supernatural, charitable way. Mm. So part of that care for life is also creating space for relationships. So there'll be care for life and then three things, showing care, creating space for relationships. In our crazy busy world, often we don't stop and just create a space to relate to somebody else. And so again, thinking about that um, good Samaritan, he stopped and then he created a space for himself to relate to the neighbor you know, to relate to the person. And and what does that space look like? What does that relationship look like? It's going to be different depending on who we're relating to, but to intentionally create a space for relationships and thinking about the vulnerability of the people at end of life, that's, you know, that is really needs to, um, in our most vulnerable state is when we need to reach out and be able to relate to another. So mm. to create that space for the vulnerable to interact. So before we go on to the third one, let's take, so the first one, show care by giving of self, both mm-hmm. what we have and what we will have. And secondly, creating space for relationships. So you talked about what that the, the Good Samaritan, how, how in that parable, the Good Samaritan story, uh, Good Samaritan models that. Can you, and you're starting to do that, especially with the second one, but could you maybe to help make this concrete for us, like what would be an example um, for somebody who's caring for somebody who's dying mm-hmm. um, and who with at least these two so far, and then we'll get to the third as well. What would be like a concrete example that you could create to make this even more real for us about what these two things of these three may mean? Sure. So, um, so that first component care for life has sort of three co- sub components, the right. showing care, the creating space for relationship, and then this contemplative gaze. So if we think about, you know, all of the wonders of the world, the stars or the, you know, nature or this beautiful waterfall or, you know, whatever it is, there's so many wonders in our world, but they're repeatable. And so I can look at a star and I can be amazed, but then there's another one that repeats itself. And with the person, each individual is this unrepeatable wonder. And so what is an example of this first um, show care? First of all, it's it's understanding that you're looking at, you're interacting it with, you're relating with this unrepeatable wonder. Mm. And how can you enter into a greater knowledge of that, a greater depth of understanding? Um, you can by, by just making space to relate 
with them. So this is going back to the second of these components. So wonder and then of the subcomponents, right? Um, yeah. So creating space for relationship. Yeah, creating space for relationship. And and what's a good example? I don't know if, you know, sometimes I think, for example, a, a dear friend of ours just passed away. And to just sit at her bedside and have a conversation, I'm not helping cure her. I'm not, you know, helping um, like assuage my grief in any way. But there's a beauty to the creating space for relationship by just sitting at the bedside and having a conversation. So this is a so this is a great example because and, and it's helping me because I I know who you're talking about. So first of all, that that third one, the the cont- cultivating the contemplative gaze, you're you're looking at this woman who is literally unrepeatable as every one of us mm-hmm. is. So this, this creation of gods, but unlike, like you said, yeah, every star is independent, but really one star is as good as the other. Um, every full moon, it's the same moon, but this woman who you were at her bedside as, as she, as she was dying, the final weeks of her life um, in your conversations with her, you're able to see this, this, woman who's literally unrepeatable and you were able as you were just explaining um the create space for the relationship you're just having conversation with her it's not about you and this is kind of getting back to the first mm-hmm. one really but right. it's not about you and you're really not able to fix her she's dying right um but there's space for a relationship right and okay. in that relationship we're not you know we're not worried about oh i gotta go do this or i have to go do that we're just remaining Mm. with each other and we are all of the you know constructs of secular life sort of fall away because those aren't important anymore what's important is that this may be the last conversation this may be the last hand squeeze this may be the last time this person looks at me with love and i at them and i say i love you right you know and and so that moment there's a huge significance yes. in that moment. Yes. So what? So is that then the show was within what you just said? Is that also how you can show care by giving of self? Or can you think of what? What if you think about her? Um, would there is there another example? Or is that example what you just said of how you could show care by yeah. giving of self? Well, and I think the other example is is the big one of Christ on the cross, mm. and he's in his his end of life, and Mary and the disciples remain. They don't fight off the soldiers. They don't try to, you know, take rocks and chuck them at the, you know, people jeering Jesus. They don't do anything. They just remain there. And and through that, they give Christ the ability to do what he needs to do. Mm. And not to say that he wouldn't have that on his own. He's God. But they participate in his final actions which brings to completion all of salvation um and and by just remaining there they they also contribute to the salvation of the world like that's a whole nother topic but in this document it talks about it a little bit just you know we're not there's not an we often want to act we want to do we want to comfort with you know actions but in this sense of this this caring there's just a a being. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay.
Um, we have four minutes left okay, for well. the other four topics <laughs> okay. or four components. So go. Sure. So, and then if we look at the next one, the next component is allowing that person to know that they're not alone in their suffering. There's a need to be heard. There's a need to, to endure the suffering and to have suffering relieved. Uh, oftentimes Catholic teaching is misunderstood as since suffering has value, we need to just let them suffer. And that's not at all true, but it goes into the four types of suffering and all of them Christ embraced. So physical suffering, psychological suffering, like a mental, um, bringing on all that mental struggle. If we think of the anguish in the, you know, garden of Gethsemane, he sweat blood, not because of physical suffering, but at that time, the mental anguish, um, there's a moral suffering at, you know, being wrongly convicted to death. And then there's also, um, I have to look at it quick, uh, a spiritual suffering in in the sense that he takes on to his shoulders the the our feeling of being forsaken by God. Um, and it, when he says, why have you forsaken me? You know, he's referencing a psalm, but he's, he's taking on all of that suffering. Right. So that second component being understanding and not allowing someone to be alone in their suffering, but hearing that suffering. Okay. Um, the third component is kind of what we already talked about, remaining with the person. So, you know, this, this remaining, we're, we're powerless, but there is a, an effective intimacy, an intimacy of, of the mind and of the emotions and of the feelings that has a significant value. Uh, the fourth one, I'll skip too quickly, hope. So this Sunday of Advent is hope. And this one of these components focuses on hope, not just the hope that we will be with God in the, you know, in the afterlife, but the hope of the this present moment that's so full of significance. There's so much significance in that moment at end of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fifth one being a heart that sees. So the Good Samaritan, if we think about, who he was. He had a heart that saw the other person, that gazed on them as that unrepeatable wonder, that saw that person's suffering and that then responded in compassion. So now if we split compassion into compassion being um, a response that leads to love or compassion being a response that says, I need to end your suffering by ending you. So the Good Samaritan's passion leads to a response of love, a response of giving of self. It actually sees truly this unrepeatable wonder in the other person, and it responds by a gift. So then we compare that to our sort of secular world, that that heart vision is blinded. Um, and so compassion in our secular world is sort of a distortion, right. and that distortion leads to things like physician-assisted suicide or all of the other things that are addressed in this topic. What's um, what's uh, coming to my mind there is the word compassion means to suffer with. Right. And what yeah. you're talking about here, needing a heart that sees that that I'm suffering. So you suffered with this woman as yeah. she died. You didn't try to take away your own. So when we're with somebody who's suffering, we suffer as well. Um, and I, I think sometimes, well, this is not always the case, but I think sometimes our desire to end uh, their suffering is so that our suffering will stop as well. Yeah, yeah. So, Yeah, and so in that last part, what can we do? We can enter into or, or walk with them in their suffering. And then it, t- it talks about compassion and consolation. 
enter into their solitude um, and and accompany them. Amen. So again, the document is Samaritanus Bonus, uh, a worthwhile read for anybody thinking about, concerned about, how do I care for people who I love at the end of their life, but especially for those in the medical profession. Thanks, Camille, for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.